Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson, and we are back uh, with another podcast. Today, we're going to kind of be talking about abortion and what is abortion and why is it wrong or is it even wrong? And um, kind of going down that path and, and talking about abortion as right now, it's kind of a hot topic um, in our country because of the leaked Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. And um, and so we're going to talk about how this affects us as Christians and and, wh- and what this means and, and how we should talk to other people about abortion who aren't Christians and, and things like that. So, but I want to start here um, in the in, right away, Nick, with asking you a question about how um, how we're, we're going to be talking about this in this podcast. Because when, when people hear about abortion, I think it's been a very politicized topic. And we're not... I don't think we're going to we're not going to be making a case for like voting Republican or voting Democrat. We're going to be making a case um, just for for talking about what abortion is and if it's wrong or if it isn't. So I guess you want to just kind of explain the differences between this is not necessarily a, a, a politics podcast, um, but it, but it is a, a podcast about how abortion and, and God's word are related or not related. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think it is fair to say that the reason we're talking about this is for a publicly political reason. Yeah. Right. Even the courts aren't supposed to be political. They are politicized mm-hmm. and it, and the courts are part of our political superstructure. But I think Christians should recognize that there is no such thing as neutral reasoning. Like mm-hmm. as um, Michael Matheson Miller has said a bunch of times, the, um, secularism isn't neutral. Mm-hmm. Secularism has a set of metaphysical and ethical beliefs that it tends to put pushed by its very structures and claims on reality. So there's no such thing as like people talk about the the separation between church and state. There's no such thing as that. Yeah. You can, you can separate the structures of the church or the official establishment of churches. Like the, mm-hmm. the Episcopal church is America's church, but you can't actually separate religious faith and quote the church from its beliefs about what a human being is. Yeah. And what that means about ethics and morality, which is our basis for what we think is moral, and all laws have a moral basis. Yeah, right. And so does all public policy has a view of the good. So there's you can't really sub- separate religion from politics because you can't separate religion from philosophy or religion from ethics. Yeah, it's all that's all just not possible. Mm-hmm. Secularists want you to think it's possible because they want to have the only right to talk. Yeah. Right. But that, that's not anything like what the founding fathers meant by not having establishment of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted the free exercise of religion and they wanted the free exercise of religion within the realm of the press and the and assembly and mm-hmm. religious practice. Right. And the, the wall of separation between church and state that he wrote that Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptists was, first of all, it was a view Jefferson held and is not part of American law. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like. Uh, it's also just not true. It's not it's, right that f- functionally, organizationally, religion should be kept separate. But every voter has the right to vote his reli- his or her religious conscience. Mm-hmm. And if that amalgamates into representation that leads to laws that are conducive to our religion or would be supported by our religious faith, that's mm-hmm. good. But remember, like Roman Catholics and evangelicals and many believe that God's laws are consummate with reason. And so we can say, look, I voted for this because I think it's reasonable, but that reasonability may still be part and parcel of revelation. 
So anyway, so yeah, we can say this is a non-political discussion and that we're going to talk about it within the framework of Christian faith. But then that Christian faith institutes an ethic. That ethic is bounded to reason. Mm-hmm. Ethical reason is the basis for our social life together politically. It affects our voting. It affects how we govern ourselves. Mm-hmm. So you can separate it from politics sort of and then you sort of can't. Yeah. Yeah. But we're going to try to stay downstream or really upstream from politics right. as much as we can this discussion. Yeah. And so I guess where we're going to start, I think we have to start at the kind of just the base level foundation in this conversation. Because when I think about my generation and some of some of the younger generations who may have grown up into in the public school system, they might not have a real idea of what an actual abortion is. Maybe they just know what they've heard. Um, in school. Um, but I, I knew that I, I, the only reason that I knew what an abortion was growing up was because my mom almost aborted my brother. And she kind of went, talked to us growing up about what that actually, the process is of an abortion. Um, and so let's start, let's start by asking, what is an abortion? So abortion is a euphemism mm-hmm. that we use to refer to something because we don't want to call it what it is. Yeah. Right. The abortion is the killing of an unborn child. Mm. And in most cases, it is the severe dismemberment of a living child in its mother's womb. Mm-hmm. And so we use the word abortion so that we can refer to that without speaking of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is a the pra- it is the practice of pre-birth infanticide mm-hmm. in which human beings are killed because we don't for, – for, for some reason, the mother, doctor, or state does not wish for them to live. Sure. And it's, and it is, um, yeah. So that, that like, and it's done in a number of different ways from, uh, drugs that create miscarriages, mm-hmm. um, through to crushing the skull and sucking out the brains of babies moments before their natural birth at nine months. And yeah. par- part of the thing that's made this really difficult in America is because America has faced this politically as a binary question. Mm-hmm. Either you're for every kind of abortion there is, or you're for none of them. Yeah. And that has created a lot – I mean because if you go to most places in Europe, um, Europe has put in place something like a slightly more conservative vision of Roe versus Wade, mm-hmm. right? Basically, first trimester, you can do what you want. After that, you need a really freaking good reason mm-hmm. to get an abortion because it's disgusting and abhorrent. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people who think, even on the pro-life side, that if the pro-choice side in America had been content with that, that we would there would never have been a chance to have a pro-life mm-hmm. change in America. Um because dismembering children and, and causing miscarriages in the first three weeks of pregnancy feel very different. Mm-hmm. Ethically, they might be slightly different or they might not be different at all, but, mm-hmm. um, but they feel really different. Yeah. You know, can I make a quick clarification for people? Because I, I mentioned Roe v. Wade and, and a lot of people actually think that Roe v. Wade is the overturning of abortion period, that abortion would be banned across the United States if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Just for clarification, that's not what would happen if Roe v. Wade, if Roe v. Wade was overturned. The decision um, to whether abortion is legal or not would just go to the, each individual state, and that would probably play itself out like fifty-fifty. There would probably be like twenty-six states that would not allow it, and like twenty-four that would allow it, or something like that. So, I just want to make that clear because I think that th- this conversation somewhat revolves around the, the current context and. People, a lot of people just don't even know what that that Roe v. Wade is. So, I I, yeah, I do think it's important to recognize, though, that in the 1970s, when Roe v. Wade was decided, abortion was legal and illegal in almost every single state. So, when it happened in the 70s, 
it legalized abortion everywhere when it was legal almost nowhere. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you go back to the 1970s, the Kennedy family, like the famous Democrats that were super pro-choice until he just died, like like um, is it, was it which Kennedy was that? Ted Kennedy. Ted. But if you go back to the 60s and 70s, they were on the vanguard of the pro-life movement. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they changed as the Democratic Party changed. But a lot of these folks were believing Catholics. And after Tuskegee, the Tuskegee experiments came came out of like not treating black men with syphilis. The next thing that the next scandal that came out right after that was the harvesting of infant parts mm-hmm. for scientific research. Yeah. And that in the 70s was considered horrible. Apparently, it's not that horrible now. Yeah. But it was considered horrible then. And these Democratic Catholics were on the vanguard of fighting it, including the Kennedys. Mm-hmm. So, OK, so now, now that we know what abortion is and kind of what's going on right now in, in relation to Roe v. Wade, I think this is always the the way that these conversations tend to go is towards the. Um, well, let me back up even more. The first thing that we should talk about is that there's probably going to be some people who listen to this podcast who have had an abortion before. Um, and they maybe they feel terrible about it or they don't feel bad about it. And so, um, those people are women and Nick and I are men. And so I guess should we should talk about how one, you and I are going to be talking about this as, as men. And I, I don't personally think that that's a huge that makes a huge difference, but there are things that we haven't experienced because we haven't given birth. Um, and two, Mm -hmm. like the, the, the things that we're saying about abortion, doesn't mean that you're too far like if you've had an abortion you're too far gone from jesus or that you can't be saved or things like that so do you want do you want to kind of like open that i mean kind of open that up and just make people feel like this is a this is a podcast we're not going to be like trashing you if you've had an abortion we just have to we're talking about it as as what it is right yeah so um abortion is a very 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 great sin Mm -hmm. but Part of the problem in Christian faith is that everything is. Yeah. Like we we serve a very, very, very great and morally serious God. Yeah. And we morally minimize everything that we do. Hmm. Right. And so we think there's there's these sins that are virtually non-existent. And then these are like really big ones, right? So um, abortion is a very great sin. It's the sin against motherhood and the sin against hospitality. I mean, like it's it's a very awful thing. But this is one of the reasons why we say to people, and it's not just that, like there is there is having an abortion. There is um, suffering in the trauma that is the result of abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, that will often motivate people to behave in ways in which they get pregnant again and end up having more abortions mm-hmm. um, because anonymous sex or the release that you get from the high of sex and somebody seeming to adore you physically mm-hmm. and having sex that's intimate enough that it could be fertile and then that mm-hmm. leading to pregnancy again. Mm-hmm. Like that, that tends to feed off of itself. And then, then the, that woman feels even worse and even more guilty. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably men listening to this that have tried to encourage women to get abortions, mm-hmm. either it's just classmates who've been just flippant about it or their girlfriends mm-hmm. because they didn't want to take responsibility for the life that they've created. There's lots of women who have not had an abortion themselves um, or have, and have encouraged friends to get abortions. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that is just filled with a enormous amount of wickedness, mm-hmm. frankly. But you have to remember, Christianity is not predicated on God just shrugging his shoulders. It's predicated on literally the death of the Son of God. Mm-hmm. 
So one of the reasons why you need the cross to have existed as a person, all of us, is because we need a remedy for a sin so morally serious that it's, it's bigger than this wickedness of our sin. What could be more wicked than any of our worst sins? And the answer is the death of the righteous son of God himself. Mm-hmm. That is big enough. And when the moral gravity of your sin falls on you, whether it's abortion or anything else, then you can turn to God and you can see the moral gravity of what it really means that the son of God himself submitted himself to be murdered and humiliated by wicked men mm-hmm. to pay for the sins of real sinners. Mm-hmm. And what that'll do to you is it'll lead to a humiliation of your heart on a really deep level where, you're, where you'll feel lower than the bottom of the earth. And then it will lift you up in freedom to the forgiveness of God in the most morally serious way possible, where he has set you free and where you feel free enough to encourage people not to do what you have done right? I, I, and to live the opposite of how you've lived. And it's, there are some, it's many times women who have had abortions or men who have committed abortions who have become some of the great people to speak out for the voiceless. Yeah. I was going to say it, it, this podcast, the purpose of this podcast is to add depth to the gospel where it can probably feel shallow. And I, yeah. and I think, um, the, yeah. So I, I guess like oh, this conversation often goes to the point where you have to just kind of decipher what a baby is and, um, what it means to, but what is a baby? Cause you'll get a, a lot of, um, on the political spectrum, you get some of the right wingers that'll be like, you know, abor- abortion is murder. And then you have the left wingers who will be like, no, it's, it's a clump of, it's, it's a fetus. It's not alive. It's not a baby. And so we kind of have to figure out we, and in this podcast, the baseline needs to be, we need to define what a, a baby is and what a human life is. And then kind of go from there. I think that would be the easiest and, and most productive yeah. way to do it. Yeah. Like can I say one last thing, like past yeah. related people who have had abortions or encouraged people to get abortions Yeah, is God's desire for you is not that you would feel bad mm-hmm. as much as possible for as long as possible. Yeah. God has not called you to atone for your own sins. Yeah. It's actually really arrogant to think that you could ever feel bad enough to atone for your sins. And it's actually completely useless mm-hmm. for you to wallow in any guilt relative to your sins because feeling bad about yourself or for what you've done does not make it okay mm-hmm. what you did. And so therefore turning to God's provision of atonement, he has made a way for you to feel better. Mm-hmm. He has made a way for you to be truly counted just and innocent again. And he, the only thing he's called you to do is to profess or confess what's true, which means confessing that your sins were sins. Mm-hmm. And that you want to live a different way and you want to follow him, including his ethic of life. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's there's like a, there, everybody who's listening to this, even if you agree with everything that we say about the status of the human child and what God's will is and all that, and you that makes you feel worse, there is a beautiful future for you where God turns everything that sin has devoured into mm-hmm. a new beautiful fertile crop of the future of his blessing and care for you. So I just I'm, I'm going to speak very negatively about abortion. And if we if if this was if this show was about premarital sex, I'd be just as vehement about that. Mm-hmm. And if it was about gossip, I'd be just as vehement about that. And, and porn, we've talked about porn, we've talked about yeah. pornography, yeah. greed, theft. They, I mean, they all deserve similar railings. Yeah. Even though abortion is so sad because it's a sin against such tender and sacred things like motherhood and children, right? and parenting and children. Yeah. Right. I was gonna, I was gonna just say like. One of the ways to 
in some ways affirm what you what you just said is that if you look obviously at the Bible and you look at people like David and Moses, who mm-hmm. were both murderers and and committed right. some of the worst sins of all time, some some of what people consider the worst sins of all time, it, they the latter half of their life after they did that, once they repented and and turned away from that, was extremely productive and they did a lot of very very great things and, and it's like their life didn't end there god didn't be like oh, all right you just kind of cross the line now you're going to be unproductive for the rest of your life and not do anything so yeah and hope. specifically to abortion itself i can't think of the king right now king manasseh was mm-hmm. king for 50 years and it says that he burned he made his children pass through the fire meaning that he burned them alive to the to the idol molech yeah. who would make them wealthy and this is a person who sacrificed his children to his ambitions, which is what abortion is. Yeah. And God, God forgave him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did that for 50 years. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how big his harem was or how many children that he had he didn't care to keep and how many children he did and how he, and he led Israel to do it. Mm-hmm. So not only did he commit these abortions and this, these infanticides, mm-hmm. he caused Israel to do it. And you're like, well, burning children alive is a little worse than abortion. Right. Not really. Mm-hmm. No. Most of the children who are torn limb from limb inside the womb, yeah. we have every reason to believe that they feel pain. And it would be just the same as if your arms and legs were torn off of your body. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not better than burning them alive. Mm-hmm. But God, like God broke Manasseh. He did what he had to do to break him. Mm-hmm. But when he broke and asked for forgiveness, he forgave him and restored him to be king again. So God's, mm-hmm. God's willingness to forgive is unlimited. Mm-hmm. But his willingness to say what you did wasn't bad is non-existent. Yeah. He will never say evil is good. Mm-hmm. He will only forgive wickedness and sin out of love. Yeah. Okay. So real quick, because when you mentioned that story, there's a story that popped into my head that I think kind of is similar to that. The um, and then we'll get into the what when what is a baby? When does human life start? Uh, question and and because I think Christians need to be equipped with these answers um, when having conversations with people who are pro-abortion and, and pro-choice. Um, but there's a there's a documentary that just came out on the Daily Wire, and it's not a political documentary. It's it's literally just about abortion and what it is, and and they talk and talk to a bunch of different people. And it's not like any right wing stuff. I encourage people to watch it. But there's a doctor in it who talked about um, he's given hundreds of abortions, and the the one that changed his entire life, like he was trying to basically rip the limbs off of a child, and the child like kicked him while he was trying to do it. And he said that that was, I mean, it's similar to what you just said, like the, the child that like, kicked him and he realized that these are, this baby was fighting for its life. And so that, that's similar to, to kind of what you just said. But um, Yeah. I mean, we know now, I mean, part of this, they didn't know some of the stuff in the 1970s when Roe versus Wade was Pat was, right. was like was decided, mm-hmm. but like, like we not only know that like babies feel pain and they yeah. have brain activity and they have heartbeats. We not only do know all that kind of stuff because um, they knew some of that stuff. Then we know things like that. We know how babies are psychologically developing in mm-hmm. the womb. Mm-hmm. We know that we can, for example, harm children's psychological developments in the womb and they never recover from it in their adult life because it's so profoundly important. Mm-hmm. So we know that children can be traumatized in the womb. We know that like we know so much more. Yeah. And so um, our excuses are so much worse. Yeah. And because men and women both have sex with each other, the this does pertain to men and women. Um, and and so I, let's just start that. Like, yeah. it, when does the life of a baby uh, start? Does it start at conception? Does it start uh, after the first trimester? Um, wh- when does this whole thing begin? Mm-hmm. So within the Judeo-Christian tradition, there has been a little bit of disagreement on this, but not much. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason is is that. Um, uh, the technologies of abortion weren't really available. 
So abortion was com- was committed in the ancient world almost entirely by what were called potions, which were herbal remedies, which led to spontaneous miscarriages. Okay. And these were known in cultures all over the world. Yeah. So they were used in the ancient world. They were very widely used in Rome around the time of Seneca. He said a chaste wife could not be found. And the way these women got rid of their unwanted pregnancies that came from their adulterous relationships was through these potions. When John Wesley came to America in the 1700s, the Native Americans were still living technologically in the Stone Age. But when he came to bring the gospel to Native American tribes in Georgia, one of the chiefs he spoke to said, we know that the great spirit won't reveal himself to us because of our great sins, because we poison our women so they will miscarry their children. Hmm. Right. So th- so in Native American tribes, it was that this was widely practiced as well. Mm-hmm. So human societies learned these herbs that would cause women to spontaneously miscarry very early in pregnancy. Right. And so in that sense, abortion was practiced throughout the world, yeah. but it was not practiced in the way it is today where we actually like go into the womb and rip children apart and take them out. Yeah. Sense. yeah. Well, and have the um, technology to do that. We, we, now we do. Right. Yeah. Right. And it was, it was difficult. So when you had, when you had pregnancies that, that had already gone far enough when women realized they were pregnant, but they didn't want the child, what they would do is they would carry the child to term, have the child and then commit infanticide. Just kid, Yeah. Yeah, they would, they would do what was called exposing the child. Of course, a lot of the children that were killed were ki- ki- killed because they were either female or because they were they had some kind of disability, mm-hmm. right? So if a child wasn't considered perfect in Greco-Roman culture, especially mm-hmm. in Sparta, but in other places as well, it would be just taken out and exposed, mm-hmm. just lay, left somewhere to die. Mm-hmm. And then um, also girl children, right? Because it was not profitable to have too many girl children. Mm-hmm. So there's like there's a fragment from the ancient world where a, a man writes to his wife and he says, if this child is a boy, name it after me. If it's a woman, if it's a girl child, just get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And that was – and one of the reasons why people, scholars believe women flocked to the church early in Christianity was because the early Christian bishops taught against uh, infanticide, abortion, potions, mm-hmm. and anal sex. Mm-hmm. And because there were – because anal sex was, it wasn't used because it was super hot. It was used because it didn't cause pregnancy. It didn't cause pregnancy. Yeah, it was – right. Birth control. Right, and so a lot of men would have anal sex with their wives, mm-hmm. which of course could spread disease because anal sex isn't super safe. You right. know, like I, I suppose it can be done safe if you. I don't know what I don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't care to learn a lot more about it, but but, but it's much easier to tear the rectum than yeah. it is the, the vagina. Is a really tough thing because babies come out of it. Yeah. The rectum is not as near as tough, and right. there's blood vessels closer, so it's easier to create like infections and things like that that would really be really awful yeah. for women. It's one of the reasons why homosexual men have a lot of diseases. Mm-hmm that homosexual women do not have, right? Mm-hmm. And so men would but still, they choose to have sex with their wives in that way because they would get the pleasure from it, but they wouldn't produce children. Yeah. And so when the early Christian bishops taught against anal sex, they taught against infanticide and against potions, which mm-hmm. were mainly abort- abortive potions. Mm-hmm. Women flocked to the Christian church because mm-hmm. it was, because they had always longed for that. Most women didn't mm-hmm. want to expose their children. So when we're talking about, when we're ta- you're talking about the history of abortion and, and we know now that it is something that's been practiced for almost all of human yeah, history. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, I totally – yeah. Yeah, so, but let me – Tradition. So there are some liberal Jews, for example, mm-hmm. in Christians that believe that because the word for spirit is ruach in Hebrew, which means breath, that somebody isn't a living being or a living soul until they breathe, i.e. they're born. Yeah. Now, that is, I think, a really bad argument. Um, the, the word for soul or spirit is the word for breath. And because the words are the same word, making arguments based on lexemes that way is very bad mm-hmm. linguistics. But in addition to that, um, Adam is created from the dust of the earth and he is then given breath and becomes a living being. 
That doesn't mean that before that breath came into him, if you had come and like cut the head off of Adam before that God would be cool with that. Right. Like Adam was in God's image even before he breathed. So the, the issue isn't just like, it's just, it's the wrong question, right? Mm-hmm. The question is when do you have a living person that God expects to be protected? Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, the human person is in the image of God and is fully a fully human being at conception. Mm-hmm. The difference between them and me is developmental is like their developmental stature. Mm-hmm. Right. And so generally speaking, um, it has always been considered wrong to kill people because of where they are on the developmental timescale. Mm-hmm. Right. So I want to, I want to mention that the reason you, you mentioned all the historical context and, and we know obviously that the that abortion has been a thing for a long long time it's not just a new thing it's been here since the beginning of time almost and ever since we've had the ability because kids have been expensive yes. and difficult right and they have been a challenge to women's health well and even for- even like i mean if the kid had a disability and you were trying to have kids to like help with the farm or something like that like that's yeah. that, that's gonna be more of a hindrance um, right. it, that's what they would think about it. But the, the reason why I think it's even a bigger deal now is it's, it's hard for me to believe. Maybe I'm wrong about this since Roe v. Wade. I think it was 1973, uh, Roe v. Wade was, uh, put into, into law. They, there's been about 63 to 65 million abortions, uh, illegal abortions in the United States since then. And I, I think that that's a testament to the modern technology and just how explosive that number is probably, that's probably much more than what's what's happened in in the same time period throughout history in different historical time periods, and so I think the the uh, the depth and gravity of this situation right now, uh, in, in in relation to abortion, is probably the the at an all time high. Like I think that this issue is at an all time high, and it's because of the the technology that we have now to do this in a way that can make people feel like they're not actually doing anything um and so yeah. so so you didn't really give your answer to when the uh life of a baby starts i know you talk about that the so many liberal people might think that it's at the word yeah. breadth and so when they get out of yeah, the- other people, so the problem is is that okay so rationally here how do you how do you work this right so yeah hey do you believe there is something magical about the vaginal canal right like do you do you think that there's something about a woman's vaginal canal that ontologically changes the being of a child right now for me that's very difficult i mean like birth is a convenient marker but it's not a philosophical one Mm -hmm. to say that 10 minutes before a kid comes out of the womb they're fundamentally different in their being Mm -hmm. right i mean they're clearly they're definitely colder you know Mm -hmm. um but that's about it Mm -hmm. right and there's more light to deal with so if it's access to light Mm -hmm. or colder temperatures than amniotic fluid, then you got an argument there, right? But like, it's just not, it's not a good argument. So then you say, okay, well then now you start regressing back. Well, what about, mm-hmm. what about a week before? What about five weeks? What about a trimester before? You start mm-hmm. working yourself back. There's really no good place to stop and go, oh, it's there. Right. Right. So you can go back to the beginning of like affective brain activity, but there's still brain activity. There's still, fing- kids have fingernails and beating hearts. And all- I mean, most women, by the time they know they're pregnant, there's already a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Right. right. But if the question is, when does the, 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 this creature become a human being? That mm-hmm. is a living creature that is human. The answer is conception right. at conception, the sperm and egg are no longer the, um, the off putting cells of a creature, 
but they have come together and become their own creature. Has and the DNA the slow- started to develop, has been created at, like it's developed and created at that point, the D, the child's DNA. It's fused, yeah, the it's DNA fused, fuses. fuses yeah. And so the woman's egg fundamentally changes from a cell that is designed to receive sperm to a being that is now changed to repel it because sure. it no longer can take it on because it's a, it's a being unto itself. Yeah. Now, pro-choice people will say, yes, however – this isn't a human person that the that the characteristics of personhood are additional to just having the genetics of a human being and maybe that's true that's actually a different argument so you have to start with the fact that you have a living human being mm-hmm. at conception now but the reason why that's important is because what we're going to find out is there isn't any other criteria that gives us dignity if being human doesn't give us dignity so let's because say, any other selection is going to be arbitrary yeah so so when somebody says that to me and let's say i'm talking to the pro, pro-choice and i'm just like we're talking about they say that's not a, a human person what's the biblical right. argument what's the biblical stance on what is a person um because well, that criteria is probably much different than the world's yeah i mean the first is is that the bible that's not why the bible says we have dignity Right. The fact that we're a human being, that we're made in the image of God and we bear that image as human beings is fundamental. Mm-hmm. This is this is why we can't kill Down syndrome people. This yeah. is why you can't just kill old people. Right. Because it's not function that makes them valuable. It's being. That well, you know that in it's in somewhere in Europe that they were I can't remember. They were bragging about how they had eliminated all Down syndrome or something. And mm-hmm. all they did was just aborted every child. They, they killed them. They yeah, killed them all. Right. That was all. Iceland, that's yeah. Iceland that Iceland, done that. Yeah. And I was like, that, that just blew my mind. I was like, you're, bra- you're acting like you created some sort of genetic code that would stop it before they were right. born. And what they did was you just murdered all of them. I was like, okay, right. this is yeah. crazy. I mean, if they had done gene therapy so that it didn't happen or you could like reverse right. it somehow, that would be a miracle. That would be, be great. Yeah. But that's not what they did. No, they just killed all the Down syndrome babies. Right. Yeah. And of course, by the time you know a kid's Down syndrome, you're many weeks in. You're, you're, 12, you're 12, about 12 weeks. I think yeah. So, I, so some of the people listening to this probably, in fact, we probably should have had my wife on this podcast mm-hmm. because like, this is very personal for me. Obviously my wife was conceived out of wedlock and my, my father-in-law's parents offered to pay for my mom to be aborted. And her mom was not a Christian at the time. And mm-hmm. she was like, no, I'm not, I just doesn't feel right. And then Alexi got pregnant with Jude. It's our third child. And he, they said that he was never going to move. And he was never mm-hmm. going to speak, that he was going to lay in a bed however long we chose to keep him alive as Christian fundamentalists. Mm-hmm. And um, but, you know, this is the kind of thing the abortion was made for. Yeah, if anybody you know? knows Jude, he do, he talks a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's he's brain dead in the way all 14 year olds are. Yeah. But he, you know, he, I mean, he 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 fishes, he plays sports. Yeah. Um, I mean, not well, but but he's smart. He has a life. He can make enormous contributions like yeah. He's worth it. You know what I mean? I mean, that's what he can do doesn't make him worth it. But like he clearly the medical people were wrong. Yeah. What they said about him compared to what actually became true is a much a different story. Right. And then after Jude, we decided not to have any more children. And by the time we came to that decision, we found out that she was three weeks pregnant with Helena. So now Alexi had an unwanted pregnancy, mm-hmm. right? No reason to believe that it wasn't healthy, but she'd had three children. Right. She'd done her work. She was a good mom. She just like we didn't need another kid five years after all the other kids. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And yet it's not our choice. I mean, we don't get to do that, make those decisions. Right. And so Alexi has been on the chopping block to be an abortion. We've had the, like your kid is never going to walk or live 
you should dismember him. You should get an abortion. The disability argument. That, yeah, yeah, disability argument and the unwanted pregnancy. Yeah. Like, this is going to change my life in a way I don't want it changed. Yeah. Like, I mean, Lexi cried for on and off for weeks at different times for of like what it was going to mean to raise another fourth kid five years oh, behind yeah. all the others. Cause if, if Helena hadn't come along, she'd have already had her master's degree. She'd be in counseling practice by mm-hmm. now. Our lives would be way easier than they are. Right. Mm-hmm. But God wanted Helena to exist mm-hmm. and we received her with love and we adore her and we would mm-hmm. never give her up. And this is, this is what it costs to receive life into the world. You know, so also, it's, you it's it. what it costs to have sex. I mean, it, right. I just feel like that's, that's a point that is consistently missed with people that I talk to in my generation that it's like there's the, the, the abortion conversation that it seems like they have just tried to completely detach it from from any sexual conversation about right. about what sex means in relation to children and pregnancy. That thing has just been ripped right. to pieces and nobody talks about those things. Right. We're, we're basically all sexually bulimic at this point. Right. So, yeah. I mean, imagine if somebody came to your house, ate your food and then threw it up. Yeah. And then you're like, why did you just throw up the food? They're like, well, I'm not really interested in the nourishment. Yeah. I just wanted I just, to I'm just interested in the pleasure yeah. of eating. Eating right. is incredibly pleasurable. But you're like, yeah, but the purpose of eating right. is actually to nourish yourself with right. food. And they're like, yeah, but I don't I don't want that to be part of it. I yeah. just want. And you're like, no, but don't you understand the nature of eating is that the two go together. And they're like, right. yeah, but I, I choose for it not to go together. Right. And what that does you know? in, ter- in turn is it kills you if you don't eat your food and you can't eat. And that's in some ways the argument can be made about abortion in a spiritual way, but even so in a physical way, I mean, like some of the things that these abortions do to these women's bodies is extremely harmful. It might not kill them, but it will severely screw up the way that things work. Well, the metaphor as I'm using it is just infertile sex. I mean, making, making sure that our sex is infertile, which abortion is a part of, right? I mean, Mary Eberstadt, who I think was at Harvard for a while before she went to Washington, D.C., said that abortion is entailed by the pill. Mm-hmm. Because when you introduce the pill and you make sex infertile, mm-hmm. you have to deal with the times it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do when it doesn't work? Right? And the answer mm-hmm. is well, you got to have an abortion. Right. So the, 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 uh, the pill and the abortion are tied to each other. Right. Right. So like that's why a lot of Protestants are like, listen, you can use birth control. That's not abortifacient. Right. But when it fails, you get the kid. Like, I mean, do what you want in terms of like, like ethical birth control. Mm-hmm. You can make some of your sex infertile. You don't have to try to have a baby every time you have sex, mm-hmm. but you have to accept that sex is fertile. And when it happens, it happens. And you should not, I, I, as a, as a Protestant pastor, I would say nobody should get married with the intention of having infertile sex their whole sex life. Mm-hmm. You can have plenty of infertile sex, but part of sex is that it be fertile and you receive children if you can. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so therefore... There is, since there are only semi-arbitrary or non-obligatory places to draw the line as to when a, something is a human being, you have to start with when the thing is a being mm-hmm. and it's human. Yeah. If both of a child's parents are human beings, then this new life is going to be human mm-hmm. and it exists and is alive unto itself. Mm-hmm. So it's a being. Mm-hmm. So it's a human being. And the thing that makes it not like you and I is the developmental difference between where it is now and where it's going to be. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so it's already a human being. Now you can create you can create an argument around personhood, but personhood right. is not how we have traditionally understood human beings to have value mm-hmm. or worth. Yeah. Well, can we jump uh, can we move? okay, so so I guess 
in these conversations that we might, that people right now probably will be having with people who they disagree with, the I feel like the next thing that would come up is like, okay, if that's how you want to define being a human or a human being, then what happens when the mother has been raped or there's these there's these minority. Um, and, and like th- these are literally, I mean, less than one percent of the time these types of situations come along. It doesn't mean they're not important, but it's not that it's not the majority of, the, of abortion. So, but yeah. when somebody says, you know, a, a woman's raped and now she has a child and the husband wants nothing to do with him, uh, with the kid, and the husband mm-hmm. leaves, and now she's you're saying that she's stuck with with having this kid and she can't afford it. She's a single mother, and what do you say what about what about her being a human what she's a human being and, and doesn't her dignity and, and her her life matter just as much so so what about these cases that are less le- less frequent yeah so i think first of all it's important to recognize that hard cases make bad law right that's a classic legal thing and that like and in ethical philosophy people have always said like you don't you don't make your ethical theory by the by the exception. the exception you make your ethical theory and then you make room for criterias for exceptions yeah so let's say it is right to abort a child who is the product of rape mm-hmm. right that wouldn't change the status of whether or not it's right to abort a child out of for convenience or because you don't right. the child is unwanted Anything outside sense? of rape right is or yeah that makes sense yeah. right usually the way pro-choice people will approach this is if we can get a pro-life person to say you shouldn't or can't get an abortion in relationship to rape then we can show that they're crazy mm-hmm. and there we should pay attention to anything they say about abortion including that abortion is wrong in other cases because what they try to do is they try to say that if you think that that's okay then you're condoning rape and I, and, right. and that's not true i mean that's just and, not true and anybody who says that a woman should keep a child that's the product of rape hates women and shouldn't be talking in relative relative yes. to abortion right. this is a little bit this is, and somewhat similar to if you don't have a vagina you shouldn't talk about abortion yeah which is just basically a logical non sequitur but right? we know like, now that it is men true men and women can both have vaginas <laughs> yes well yeah and have babies and right have babies. So <laughs> now that men can have babies we can have a conversation about it, about it. Yeah. right <laughs> right yeah so but also it's just a non sequitur like um you know i don't believe i don't believe this triangle has three sides because i'm a man yeah. now it is true that men can be flippant about female experience and women can be flippant about male experience mm-hmm. because they haven't experienced it that is true and so listening to people when they say hey listen you don't really know what this is like i think that that's fair to do like I, every year I go to the to a pro-life banquet where moms who had unwanted pregnancies give their testimonies and they try to share and help us understand what it was like mm-hmm. to find themselves pregnant and not know what to do and to be abandoned by the father and so on. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I do that and my you know, my wife was the was the um was the hotline, mm-hmm. Monday night hotline person where we'd get calls at three AM. You know, she'd wake us both out of a dead sleep. Mm-hmm. It'd be some woman saying like, I just found out I'm pregnant. I think I'm pregnant. I don't know what to do. I feel like I need to get an abortion. I heard this line was one I could call, mm-hmm. you know, and my wife would talk to him and try to get him an appointment to come to CareNet and yeah. he'll get some counseling. That's how my mom, she went, she ended up at CareNet. Her roommate for some reason was, her mom worked there and mm-hmm. and she ended up over at CareNet and figured out what an abortion was. And then well, and they showed a video and then she became a Christian and chose yeah. to have my brother. So like that, yeah. that was that care. That's yeah. a great place. Yeah. I pro choice political figures. have done everything they can to make sure women don't know what abortions really are. Mm-hmm. And they don't see ultrasounds mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you can spend your whole life using perverted versions of feminism to beat femininity out of a woman, mm-hmm. but they're still a woman. 
And there is a maternal instinct in them and a maternal Mm -hmm. heart in them. And if you show them what abortion really is, and then you show them the ultrasound of the human living inside them, Mm -hmm. it's very, very few women go, yeah, just rip it out. Most of them go, oh, crap, that's a person. That's a little person. And that's my little person. Yeah. Okay, so back to rape. Yeah. Okay, so here's the here's the, this is this a th- classic ethical ethical bad reasoning. Yeah. Okay. Um, when people commit crimes, the people who commit the crimes should be punished for them, mm-hmm. right? Not the people affected by the crimes. So a woman who's raped shouldn't be punished because she was affected by the crime. She crime she didn't commit the crime. Right. Um, so one of the things I've always found interesting is why would you kill the child produced by the rape and not the rapist? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, listen, I can get on board with the death penalty for rapists. Like mm-hmm. if you could really prove it was a violent one side, I'm not talking about like date rape or like, but I mean like a yeah. violent rape. Yeah. Listen, I could get on board with the death penalty for that person. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, but, but the, the child is innocent, first of all. Mm-hmm. And the, the woman is still a mother. Mm-hmm. Right. Like she didn't choose to conceive that child. She didn't choose the man she conceived the child with, Mm -hmm. but her body conceived the child. Her egg was part of what made that child. That child is in her image and Mm -hmm. that child is her child. She Mm -hmm. is its mother. Mm -hmm. And although that child was produced by a horrible and sinful action, that doesn't mean that the child's life should be ended because of it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes um, it is sometimes the act of righteousness that redeems a sin has to be even more filled with goodness, power, and courage Mm -hmm. than the evil that created the bad situation. So I agree that to, to bear a child from rape will takes enormous courage. Well, you have to be better than the rape was bad and rape is bad. And I want to say, I mean, there's something that I mean, my wife have talked about and we've, I mean, I've talked about this with other women and we know that after a woman gets pregnant that, you know, their emotions go all over the place and they, you know, they obviously things, things are changing in their bodies and they, it's the idea that somebody, whether, whether, whether it was because of rape or not, a man could get a woman pregnant and then just leave it can make a lot of sense for the woman to be like, I don't know what to do now. I'm just going to have an abortion because the complementarian relationship between a man and a woman in this scenario, the man would be responsible for assuring and comforting his wife Mm -hmm. to be like, okay, no, this is a good thing. I know your body's changing, but this is a good thing that we're having a kid. So let's not make any um, decisions that are completely and totally irrational. And so- That, that doesn't happen. And so it puts women into a very, very crappy situation where they can they can justify in their heads like having an abortion. And honestly, that shouldn't be just people shouldn't just be like, oh, th- this woman's terrible for thinking that like the guy, a, a man who's going to have sex with a woman and then ask her to get an abortion or rape a woman and she gets pregnant. That guy needs to be held accountable for that, um, for being a, a sad, pathetic shell of a human being. Uh, that's I mean, that's. Yeah. Well, it's also important to recognize that we've done this to ourselves culturally and women have been massively complicit in it Yeah, because the sexual revolution, I've joked before that the sexual revolution was the biggest trick that men ever played on women, Yeah, but that's not really true. Okay. It is the, it is the biggest trick that alpha and predatory men mm-hmm. have ever played on women. Yeah. So men who want to use women, throw them mm-hmm. aside, abuse them or rape them. Mm-hmm. The sexual revolution was fantastic for them Mm -hmm. because women became massively more unprotected. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. by males and families. Yeah. It allowed for the massive breakdown in families. It, it created mm-hmm. um, sex that should have been mm-hmm. stigmatized and made it perfectly fine and all that. So guys that want to use women, mm-hmm. it's great for those men. Mm-hmm. But And so then women get upset about it and then they completely change the way they interact with men. Mm-hmm. And so now men that would have married a woman, loved her, stayed mm-hmm. with her, honored her. Protected her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now they can't get a girl, mm-hmm. and now ha- like a percentage of them become incels. They get angry. They don't want. They don't want a woman. They don't because but this be- whole system is broken down. Because of the sexual revolution, though, the amount of men that are actually like what you just said that want to protect and, and care for a woman that has gone down too. The, the number of men because they they've seen that you know okay, well now I can I can do the same thing that these alpha males are doing right, and right. We're maximizing the number of predatory men and minimizing yes. the number of protective men. Exactly. Right. Right. So any man that could have gone either way that was in within the realm of fluidity. 90% of the time they're going to go. We're moving them over into a predatory. Yeah. And they wouldn't know that. Like they would just be no. like, what do you mean? I'm predatory. Listen, this men wrong. are either protectors or predators. There's, that's it. Yeah. You're, either a pi- you're either a pirate and a pillager or you're a protector. Mm-hmm. That's, that, those are the options for men. Yeah. You're going to use your strength for something. Yeah. Now the question is what? Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's a lot of men that could have easily been persuaded to love one woman, treat her well, and mm-hmm. her sexuality and receive her with her fertility and raise children and protect and provide for that family. And they aren't now because they were told promiscuity is fine. Mm-hmm. Everybody's allowed to have recreational sex without consequences. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that sex has a consequence. And that consequence is it creates humans. Now, there's lots more consequences than that. (laughs) But one of the largest ones is it creates humans. And that's why abortion is necessary in a culture of promiscuity. Mm -hmm. And the only way we got a culture of promiscuity was because of the pill. Well, we'll let's talk about the pill then because that's another conversation in this – the abortion conversation that oftentimes comes up and – in Christian circles, this is, I mean, we're going to have to have a whole full conversation and podcast about uh, birth control too, at some point, because I feel like these are the, all these things bleed into each other and, and they can become very confusing. So, so I guess, what do you think about the pill and how should Christians think about that and deal with, and I guess deal with the pill and should they use the pill? Yeah, I guess I think since we're trying to stay on point more in our podcasts, mm-hmm. keeping people waiting with bated breath to hear what I think about the pill would be better. All right, we'll we'll, you know? we'll get back to that in, in a podcast coming soon. So I think I think the point right now is to say that without a culture of promiscuity, you need the pill for a culture of promiscuity mm-hmm. to keep that culture of promiscuity going. With the pill, you have to have abortion, and mm-hmm. so what everybody knows is that if you get rid of abortion, then something has to change with sex. Mm-hmm. And that it terrifies people and, and it makes of, them angry because they have been promised yeah. recreational sex without consequences since the boomers. Well, and, and they it, will not be denied that. Yeah. And if and if you have to change something about sex, that means you have to change something about their entire philosophy and ideology mm-hmm. because all of their ideology and philosophy has been highly sexualized. And that's what they are now. That's all they right. think about. And so yeah. you've and the family and what yeah, a woman is and right. what a man is. We can't even know who a woman is. Yeah. Like this would actually make that so much worse yeah because you'd have to see a woman in relationship to her fertility yeah. but that would destroy the entire ideological queering argument right of what that you can't know what a man or a woman is this is a, it's a, it would be it, a, it would be catastrophic it's unthinkable uphill to people yeah. with a unconstrained view of the world yeah so so okay back to back to abortion i mean so we're yeah. talking about i mean we, we talked about rape and and, and that scenario right. um so yeah, so ethically speaking, yeah. I just want to make this clear. So ethically speaking, rape or incest 
The means by which a woman gets pregnant mm -hmm. isn't relevant to whether or not the child that is the result should be killed. Mm -hmm. It just isn't relevant. Now, I know emotionally it's relevant. Mm -hmm. Like I, get, I totally get that. Yeah. But this is one of those situations where the armchair philosopher is better than the soldier of the field. C.S. Lewis said in one of his books, he said, who should decide what's ethical in war? Mm -hmm. The guy who just charged up a hill and saw three of his best friends shot by the enemy or the person sitting in his armchair in England who's an ethicist determining what should be done with prisoners of war. The guy that just charged up the hill and saw three of his buddies got killed, he has a very existential personal and emotional view about what should be done with prisoners of war. They should all be shot. Mm -hmm. Right. Because he just saw his friends get killed by these guys. Mm -hmm. Now they get to just surrender and now we don't kill them. Mm -hmm. That's complete. That's that's so wrong. Mm -hmm. And he knows it emotionally. Right. What the philosopher knows is that if you, when you get to the top of that hill, you kill all the prisoners of war and that word gets out. Nobody will ever surrender again. Mm -hmm. So every battle fought for the rest of the history of the world is a fight to the last soldier and mm -hmm. everybody dies. And the cost of that is too catastrophic. And mm -hmm. surrendering means you 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 are agreeing not to try to kill any more people. So that nobody will kill you. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a fair agreement. And so the, the, the philosopher is actually right. Mm -hmm. Not the person who has lived experience in battle. Mm -hmm. And so the same is true for abortion. Women can be like, you don't know what it feels like to have conceived of somebody when they've been raped. And the answer is that is correct. Mm -hmm. I do not know what it feels like. That is true. I know what it feels like to have my wife had an unwanted pregnancy. I know a bunch of what, what a bunch of things feel like, mm -hmm. but I don't know what that feels like. That's mm -hmm. true. And ethically speaking, it isn't relevant mm -hmm. to know what is right. Right. So the argument, and, and this gets into how the church should learn to love these people and to care for widows and right. people like that. This oh, next yeah. question. Um, yeah. If a woman like that came into my office, right. Right. Um, like we would, our church would pay for trauma counseling. Like, I mean, yeah. it, like, I mean, and I wouldn't excommunicate her if she chose to get an abortion. Because not because she's right, but because I probably wouldn't choose to exert church discipline. Hmm. But like what we would say is like, listen, we'll help you through the adoption process. I will work with your husband in discipleship so that he realizes he needs to receive this child too, mm -hmm. to whatever extent you guys need to pray about this. Mm -hmm. Like it's not this child's fault. Mm -hmm. There's this, there's this old movie that Liam Neeson was in years and years ago called Rob Roy. Hmm. And he's this basically the Scottish sheriff and this guy who's basically trying to get him killed rapes his wife. And she and she had, had sex with her husband, but she this guy had also raped her and she finds herself pregnant and she doesn't know who the father is. Right. Yeah. And she tells him this at one point because, she, because he finds out and he's like, she's like, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you I didn't know. And she says, she said, and she says, but I couldn't kill the baby. I'm sorry. And he's and his response is, it's not the baby that needs to be killed. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what the question of rape comes down yeah. to. It's not the baby that needs to be killed. Right. I mean, and, and, and from what I said earlier, that one of the bigger arguments is like, obviously, in, in cases of rape or even just with women who have had sex with somebody, now they're pregnant and the man wants nothing to do with them. The argument comes down at that point to, okay, well, I don't have the means to take care of a child. I don't have the money. I'm too poor. Like, And that makes sense. I, I get that. That makes a lot of yep. sense. A lot of times these are younger women who this happens to. And so- the church now, now the church, and this is what the Bible says: the church is responsible to take care of widows, and we need to figure out what to do here. Because how should the church interact with with these types of people? I know you just said you wouldn't excommunicate somebody who has an abortion, and 
maybe we can have a different podcast, but I, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, but, I would love to do a whole podcast on the corruption in the, in the adoption system, the yeah. financial corruption, in the adoption system. However, I'll say this, right. every family that I know of that's waiting to adopt a child is waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting to adopt a child. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And these, are, these are fantastic families, yeah. many of them who want nothing more than to love a child that they can't conceive themselves or in addition to those, they can conceive themselves. Yeah. And in many cases, like, like if you've got unwanted pregnancy, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you don't, if you really believe you can't raise a child for whom you are the mother mm-hmm. or father, and you really do think mm-hmm. convictionally that releasing that child to another family is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. That's been happening the entire history of the human race, mm-hmm. right? Kids have gone to live with uncles or aunts or cousins mm-hmm. and, or they've been adopted in other families. That's mm-hmm. always happened. And Christian, Christianity has always been on the vanguard of that. I mean, one of the things that people hated about Christians in the ancient world was that Christians would go out and they would collect children that were left to die mm-hmm. and raise them as their own. Mm-hmm. And the Romans hated that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But we're like, no, these are made God's image. Mm-hmm. Little girls, people with disabilities, kids who aren't, quote, perfect. Mm-hmm. You know? So how do you talk to people? How do you? Uh, what's the rhetoric around this? Because if somebody comes into the church and they come up, come up to me and they're like, Andy, I you know just went out or whatever a couple weeks ago, got drunk, had sex with a dude, and now I'm pregnant. He's nowhere to be seen. I think people in the church are going to hate me. I I probably I feel terrible about myself. And, and you know what am I supposed to say? Because I feel like a lot of people are going to want. And what the church has done has been like you know, you suck, you're a sinner. And like that is partially true, but on the contrary, you know, <laughs> that's, we have to help these people. So like, what, like, I don't know that they're seeing that. What, what is the conversation? What is that conversation supposed to look like? And how's that conversation supposed to sound? Because this can happen, not just to the pastors and the elders, this can happen to anybody in your small group and somebody can come in and talk to any Christian. I feel like it does happen maybe more often than we think so. Yeah. I mean, what I would counsel a young woman for whom that was the case or who who's that was the case is I would say something like, listen, you can have a hard nine months and release the child for adoption and know the rest of your life that you gave what gift you could to this child, mm-hmm. or you can have it haunt you the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. But look, the shortcut is just that it's a shortcut to nowhere. Yeah. Right. Also, I mean, my wife has said to young women, she's counseled. She said, I will take the child. Mm-hmm. If you have the child, I will raise a child. Mm -hmm. Now, so far, we have not picked up a child that way. Mm -hmm. But my wife is also deadly serious. Mm -hmm. And listen, if my wife came home and said, Nick, we're going to have another kid. (laughs) I told this woman I would take her child and she said, okay. I mean, honest to God, as a man, I would be like, okay. Yeah. Partly because women do between 65 and 75 or 95% of the child care even in our liberated world. Mm -hmm. And I know that would be true of her, but also because like, that's what I believe. Mm -hmm. I don't believe I have to have that attitude to be pro-life. Like when liberals say, or progressives say, listen, if you're, you know, if you're so pro-life, then you should be for universal daycare and blah, 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 blah. That's all nonsense. Mm -hmm. I I don't have to be like, I don't have to create a support group for everybody who's had someone in their life who's been murdered Mm -hmm. to say murder is wrong. Like like this, to say what is unethical, puts no responsibility on me whatsoever. And I right? mean, that support group, technically, I mean, I, I, I would argue that Christians and myself are pro support group and it's called the local church. Yeah. And that's the support group that we should be building up, not a freaking yeah. government funded support group. That's really going to probably be crappy <laughs> at all ends. 
Right, right. And listen, listen, I, and maybe politically I am for universal daycare. I mean, I, that's not relevant, right? Like, yeah. th- that's not the point. The point is I can say what is ethically right or wrong in the armchair. Yeah. I can know what it is and I can say what it is mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to cost me a thing. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, I can tell you right now that torturing babies is wrong mm-hmm. without doing anything for globally tortured babies. Right. I can tell you that forcing seven-year-olds to kill other kids with an AK-47 so they can be in your child army in Central Africa mm-hmm. is wrong. I don't have to do anything to liberate child soldiers in Africa right. to say that that's wrong. I mean one of the greatest examples of the philosopher in the armchair saying what's right and wrong without experiencing it would be God, right? Because he's – I mean that's what he's doing. I mean before the incarnation, I guess you could say that was true. I mean he doesn't exp- – he doesn't like in- – engage- he never engaged in anything wrong, but he's still saying right. this thing's right. And so if you're a Christian claiming to believe the word of God, then to some capacity you have to believe that there's some sort of um, route and thinking and where you don't have to experience the exact thing that you're talking about to have an opinion about whether it's a good or right thing because – you're following Jesus who never sinned himself, but he's been, he was very clear on this is a sin. This is not a sin. And right. you're choosing you to follow him. Yeah. And, and listen, I, when, when progressives say stuff like that or pro-choice people say stuff like mm-hmm. that, I, I, they're getting at something that is true, which is they think I'm saying abortion is wrong, but then they think I don't care about the poor. Right. And they think I don't care about people who need help that are right in front of me. Yeah. And they think that I'm, I, I, I love mm-hmm. this abstract unborn pe- person, but I don't like my, I don't actually love my concrete neighbor right in front of me. Yeah. And so therefore they think that I'm not speaking about ethics. I'm speaking about, I'm just being flippant. Mm-hmm. And to the extent to which that's true, they're right about that. They're mm-hmm. not right about abortion, but they're, they could be right about flippancy. Mm-hmm. The problem is they're not even right about that. Mm-hmm. conservative religious people who are pro-life do more charitably for other people than any other group of people on planet earth, mm-hmm. especially in America, mm-hmm. unless progressives think, well, but I'm for all these government programs that are right. good for people and I'm for them. Well, first of all, some of them are stupid. They don't work. They're against human nature and so on. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, I pay for all those too. Yeah. I pay all of my taxes. Right. And then in addition to that, I give my time, mm-hmm. I help out of things, I give to additional charities, right. and I support my church in addition to all the taxes that I pay. So if you're a liberal and you want to shove that down my throat, you need to tell me that you pay all your taxes every penny, and then you give another 15% on top of that mm-hmm. to charitable things, and you volunteer between 11 and 25 hours a week on top of your job to help people. Right. You, If you can touch that, then you can start being condescending to me. Mm-hmm. But even then, why would you? What more am I supposed right. to do? Right. Right. So that whole argument is pretty specious. If as a Christian, you are serving others, giving sacrificially, Mm -hmm. loving your neighbor, being hospitable to others, you're being a discipled, deep, loving Christian, Mm -hmm. then those arguments are stupid. If you're being a church going nominal, I'm better than everybody else, conservative Christian, Mm -hmm. then that argument is for you. Mm -hmm. Right. The ethics is the ethics of abortion is wrong, but the claim that you might be being flippant. Right. You're just like the person who's for climate change. Mm -hmm. Right. If you're pro-life, but you don't do any Christian discipleship, you don't love your neighbor, you don't help the poor, you don't do that stuff. But you're like super for the unborn. Right. Well, the unborn are an abstraction to you Mm -hmm. that you, quote, support through, quote, awareness. Mm -hmm. Right. And but then you go turn around, you're like, oh, those those people who are for, for like talk all about climate change, but they don't like do any they don't even like recycle you mm-hmm. know or they or they don't like do it they're not even nice to their neighbor or their spouse mm-hmm. right yeah those people are hypocrites but then you could maybe you are too yeah right 
Yeah. So, so I, you have, yeah. to, have to keep that in mind as Christians. Yeah. So, okay. So, so, uh, talk, I mean, back to specifically abortion, I guess. Right. Okay. So right now conversations are ramping up in the church and outside of the church. Um, and when it comes to a situation like Roe v. Wade and how Christians should interact with this sort of, uh, law and, how we should think about it, what, whether we should want this to be, I guess, here's my question. What should Christians think about this politically in some ways? And how should we talk about this politically? I know we said this isn't going to be a political podcast on the right and the left, but the bottom line is, is that if Christians are going to be Christians through and through, that if there are millions of babies being murdered every single year in the United States, and there's an opportunity that we have to advocate for that to stop or we're going to, have to take some sort of political stance here. And so what's, how do we talk about it? What do we even do about that? Cause it's going to just drive up a lot of fiery conversations that could divide. Yeah. Well, I, so I think first of all, um, any democracy that's based on laws mm-hmm. has to proceed on the basis of good faith. Yeah. And um, Roe versus Wade has never been a good faith legal decision, mm-hmm. right? There's a group called, Ruth sent us out there who are like protesting at justices' homes because it's it's named after Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the like patron yeah, saint of liberal liberal judges, said publicly numerous yeah. times that Roe versus Wade was a bad decision. Yeah. No, she was vehemently in support of abortion mm-hmm. and abortion rights, but she confessed that both mm-hmm. that not only Roe versus Wade, but most people think Casey was a bad decision too. Mm-hmm. Right. Obviously, it built on a bad decision. How good could it be? That's right? a, that's huge. Also, when you when you think about pro-choice people like uh, Ruth Bader, whatever, um, is she's it's a big weird. she's a big deal. Like she's a yeah. big deal in general for progressives and left-wing people because she just. Correct. I mean, and, and her saying this is not this is a wrong decision. That's a that's a huge. It's think about that. Yeah. No, I don't believe Ginsburg would have voted to overturn Roe versus Wade. So don't get down. We're not saying that. But I am saying that admitted it was a bad decision. And I don't think we should have to live with bad decisions forever. Right. Right. Like that's not what courts are supposed to do. They're supposed to overturn bad decisions. So there's that. Now, I so I think we should probably have a honest and straightforward decision according to our laws, which would that what that means is it's probably going to push um, abortion to the states, right? Right, which means it's going to come back within the realm of argument. And I think this is going to be—I think it would be helpful to clarify for people who, and a lot of people who don't understand what the purpose of the Supreme Court is and what they do. Um, They're—they just got to figure out whether or not abortion, making abortion legal, would be within so the right, restraints of the Constitution. The Constitution. Yeah, and and what, what is it? What and how that relates to That's the not. Constitution written in. 1776 or i mean in that time frame so since amended yes um because the the 14th amendment changed a lot of the amendments in a certain kind of way and so a lot of people don't know that and it's important well but yeah a lot of people think that that what they're doing is they're trying to figure out whether this is a moral or immoral decision or whether it's right or wrong or whether we should do that and that's not what they're trying to do i mean if you think that the constitution is moral then yes that's what they're trying to do but what they're trying to do is trying to match it up with the constitution to figure out whether this is within the restraints of the constitution or not. And so I think people get what the Supreme court does really wrong. So that they get things like this way off and how they're thinking about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. This also gets back to the fact that, that constitutional review, which is this power that the court has is a power the court gave to itself in one of the first cases in Marbury versus Madison. So th- this gets back to other presidents and so on, but this mm-hmm. idea that the court can overturn something has been 
long established, right? But then yeah. the, the, the question is, if it gets if Roe versus Wade gets overturned, it doesn't mean that abortion is going to be illegal forever. Right. It means that the states now get to decide through the democratic process. Right. If abortion or what abortions will be legal, that means this goes back into the case into the realm of argument, which means Christians will have a chance for the first time in like forty years to make public arguments for mm -hmm. why all abortions should not be legal. Mm -hmm. Now, most Christians are going to accept some abortions. For example, if a woman has an ectopic pregnancy, she has a um, a fertilized egg, right, a fetus mm -hmm. that has implanted within the fallopian tube, right. that fetus cannot live. We have no way at this point of removing it and re-implanting it. And so the fetus is going to die. The question is, is it going to destroy the mother's fertility and kill her? Mm -hmm. And so in that case, I believe an abortion is warranted. In mm -hmm. fact, it's ethically it's ethically, not, it's ethically responsible to get the abortion, mm -hmm. right? Are you killing a human being? Yes, you are. But you've been put in you've been put in a terrible position in which you had to choose the life of one human being or to kill or ruin the lives of two human beings. And I believe that you have to save one. So for example, if my wife and I were in a room and there was only 30 minutes left of air and the people who were coming to save us were going to come in an hour, right? Like we can either both die or one of us or we, or one of us can die and the other can live. Mm-hmm. In that kind of situation, if I had a means of killing myself, I would. Do I think suicide is a terrible sin that can send you to hell? Yes, I do. Do I believe in that situation, if, if, if in killing myself, I was ethically attempting to save the life of my mm -hmm. wife, is it ethical for me to try to kill myself? I think the answer is yes. Is repentance required, though, in in the, the case of – gosh, what, what is that called? What you just mentioned about abortion. Uh, not abortion, but oh, ectopic pregnancy. Ectopic pre pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. It, it is if you did that. No, I don't think repentance no. is necessary. I think okay. I think lament is necessary. Okay. The fact that you did have to kill a like if I go to war. Yes, I was going to say I this. Go to a battle like, and I kill like nine yeah. people. That's not right? a sin. That may not be a sin. I may have done exactly what is what it was my duty to do. Do I repent for having killed them? No, because I did it justly. I did what I thought I was supposed to do in good faith. But I will still lament and mourn that it ever came to that. Sure. Right? And yeah. I think it's the proper worship of God. Yeah. If you love going out to war, then it's probably a sin. I, like if that's like your favorite thing to do and if you love having – yeah. 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 So I so I think that there will be some like very remote cases like that. Yeah. Where I think abortion an abortion is justified and it is an abortion. Yeah. Um, however, I think that's very, 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 very few cases. Mm -hmm. I think for the sake I I think that um pro life people will probably have to give rape and incest hmm. to get all the rest hmm. as a trade. I think it's a terrible trade, but yeah. I think that if pro-life people try to defend forcing women to keep children in the case of rape, that they'll lose all the rest. Now, let's uh, Nick. I think this needs to be talked about. I just thought about this right now. The argument for against the states having the rights to ban abortion um, compared to the federal government abandoning abortion or mm -hmm. or allowing abortion is that. <clears throat> They're going to say whether or not this is banned state to state, there's still going to be a bunch of abortions because 
this is this is a common argument. I there's I don't think there's any statistics that prove this to be true. And actually, I think they they prove, they go the opposite way that when you ban abortions, abortions happen less. But the a lot of people claim there's back alley abortions and things like that that are that happen that yeah. you don't get counted. Yeah. And so well, I mean, we know we could count forward. Like we knew about how many abortions happened in America before Roe versus Wade. We know how many happened after, and it increased. It skyrocketed. Right. It increased <laughs> so dramatically it was unthinkable. Yeah. Such that. Um, before Roe versus Wade, between tw- 32 and 36 women died per year because of complications with abortions. Mm-hmm. And then after Roe versus Wade, 32 to 36 women per year died from complications to abortions. Mm-hmm. You're like, wait, w- w- now, w- now they're not in back alleyways. They're in doctor's offices. Yeah, but there's so many more of them that now we're killing all these children and we're not saving any women's lives. Yeah. Because we just have we just increased by a thousand percent how many abortions there were. And one of the arguments for abortion is that it can it's it's a it's a health for legal abortion is that it's a healthier option for a woman. For yeah, that's not really yeah, I don't think that's really true. No, I mean, but I, your I, point your it, point is that it, it, if, it, if it was if healthier for a woman, done, that number would go down. That that uh, that previous yeah. number for Roe v. Wade would go down after Roe v. Wade. Well, right in theory, in theory, if an abortion was competently done. Mm-hmm. It would be very similar to a miscarriage to a woman's health physically, just mm-hmm. her physical reproductive health. Mm-hmm. And that is less damaging than a birth to her body as a whole, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. However, abortions are not always done competently. Right. And the more abortions there are, the more there, the more unwarranted pregnancies happen and the more abortions there, which increases the options or the opportunities for mistakes to happen. Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of women who are deformed or harmed profoundly by abortion, it's not that they die. It's that they're made infertile. It's that their yeah. uterus is punctured. It's that they get horrific <clears throat> infections. It's that they have post-traumatic stress. They have a tra- they have a psychological traumas. Mm-hmm. They struggle with debilitating guilt. They can't sleep. They get into terrible relationships because they're self-punishing. Mm-hmm. All these other all this other carnage that has come from abortion, that has increased a thousand or ten thousand fold. And meanwhile, we've saved zero female lives. What we what we actually have done is we have killed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just look at the number of abortions and divide it in half, mm-hmm. and that's the number of women we've killed. Because half of these people we're aborting are girls mm-hmm. who are little women. Mm-hmm. I mean, abortion has killed so many women. It's killed more women than anything else in the history of the world. I mean, abortion is mm-hmm. the woman killer. Mm-hmm. This idea that like it's somehow feminist to be is crazy. Heck yeah. I mean, there's parts of India that are missing 20% of their females mm-hmm. because of gender selective abortion, hmm. right? And, and India did not engage in abortion anything like they do now before we gave them billions of dollars with strings attached that they would teach women about abortion and make abortion mm-hmm. um, accessible to poor Indian women. Because we thought that the fertility of these countries was going to destroy the environment. Mm. So we tried to to like send abortion all over the world, and we actually gave people financial incentives to kill their children. That happened through our tax dollars, right? And so our legacy of abortion in the world mm-hmm. is maybe ten times worse than it's even in America. This population control. I mean, that would be considered population control. Yeah, when I was a kid, it was absolutely believed in the 1970s and 80s that there was this population bomb coming, mm-hmm. and it was gonna. What was gonna happen was. We were going to use up the natural resources and environmental toxicity was going to rise. And when those those graphs crossed each other, 
right? When environmental toxicity became more of a thing than the, the resources that we were plundering, then we would create a toxicity environment mm-hmm. in, on planet Earth and destroy everything, the human race and the Earth. Mm-hmm. And that had to stop. And the only way to stop it was to decrease the number of people using natural resources. We had to get rid of the humans. Yeah. And America already had a relatively low birth rate. We were like a three or four. Mm -hmm. So we were increasing slowly, but we weren't like doubling our population every 50 Mm -hmm. years. Whereas Bangladesh and India, these quote poor countries, those were the people that were really the problem. We had to cut down the people in those countries. Mm -hmm. Well, that was like one of the worst policies ever in the history of the world. There's just straight Malthusianism. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't until Bangladesh decided that all these quote extra people that they had were actually their greatest natural resource. Mm -hmm. That they started putting together programs to utilize their human capital in their country, and they went from being a country that was starving every year to a country that's been in food surplus for twenty years. Mm-hmm. So, so what are Christians supposed to do? I mean, my argument, and I guess the way that I feel about this whole—I mean, if Roe v. Wade gets overturned and the right is given back to the state to figure out what they want to do with it. Mm-hmm. We're in Wisconsin. I'm not sure where we land uh, on on abortion, uh, but does this mean that you're advocating for, I mean, Christians to be just more conservative and Republican in their in their voting and how they're advocating for things? Like I, I don't. This is what I've always struggled with in my head: is like, how can you justify the con the con the contrary to that? How can you justify the other side? And we don't, maybe we don't need to get too deep into the political stuff, but I, but it's hard to have the conversation about abortion on a political level and, and on a communal level without talking about the two parties that exist. And one of them supports murdering children. One of them doesn't. And how are Christians supposed to deal with that? If they don't like one of the, the parties, they don't, I'm a, I'm a liberal. I don't like the Republicans, but I also don't like abortion. What do I do? Um, first of all, I think it's important to recognize that it, it, it wasn't until very recently that the Democratic Party was, was uh, the exclusively pro-choice party. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, um, there have always been pro-choice Republicans, just not that many of them, and they didn't get elected as well. Yeah. But there were tons of pro-life Democrats. Just a lot, there were a lot of them. And the Democratic Party has has really pushed them out. Mm-hmm. And so there are some African-American Democrats <clears throat> that are kind of like kind of pro-lifey light. Mm-hmm. Like they're not super into abortion. But the problem is, is that the Democratic Party, because it's coalitional in nature, mm-hmm. they have to give what they've promised to all their different parts. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the extreme women's left, this sort of like mm-hmm. feminism gone kind of kind of off the rails. Mm-hmm. Um, that group like abortion is basically their religious sacrament. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that the Democratic Party would lose those people is just very difficult at this point. And because a lot of, a lot of working like blue collar people in America are pro-life mm-hmm. or are or like pro-life candidates. So they, they might go have an abortion. They don't like the idea of babies being dismembered. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they they're kind of pro-lifeish and they would they'd be perfectly fine with a pro, pro-life Democrat. Mm-hmm. You know, but it right now the pressure in that party has been against it. However, I do I do want to say this: the most Christian version of the logic that could make up a party like the Democratic Party ought to be the most pro-life party that's ever existed. The idea that like the 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 purest form of the Democratic Party, as far as I can tell, is something like this: throughout the history of the world, in human societies, the little guy has always been ignored. Mm-hmm. 
right? Whoever has less power, people tend to focus on power and whoever has less power gets screwed. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we, the democratic party are for the people who would otherwise get screwed. Yeah. Right. So the voiceless, the powerless, the, you know, the people that, you know, that aren't rich that, and so on. Right. And therefore we start with the most voiceless and the, the literally voiceless mm -hmm. and the most powerless, which would be the unborn baby. Unborn children. Right. I want to make a caveat yeah. to that. In the really, like, for example, in the so, like, are we for why? Why is the Democratic right quote for women? Why are they feminist? Well, it's supposed to be over against men. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like, if men have more power than women, and we're for the people who have less power, we're for women. Okay, you have a defenseless fetus inside the womb of its mother, mm -hmm. and the mother wants to kill it. Whose side are you on? Mm -hmm. And if you're a true Democrat in the like, I'm for the little guy. It's the answer. Yeah. I'm for the baby. Right. Right. And the reason we're for the woman against the man is we're for the woman, but we're for the woman for her sake and the man's sake. Right. Right. Because the man needs to realize the woman shouldn't be treated according to power, but according to truth. That is, he should respect her so that right. she can respect him. So there can be complementary. That's what the, mm -hmm. the fight's supposed to be about. And we're for the baby because we're also for the woman. We're for the woman, the baby, so we can be for the woman. Yeah. I think it's important to say that you gave the purest definition of the democrat party and what it means to be democratic the right. that is not the case in the united states right now like the democrat party is 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 run by the large corporations and by the man and by like that's that's who that's who's in charge there you know there's the oligopoly there's big pharma there's big tech and there's big government like that is the party of the left and so right now the i mean lo looking at the pure form of of being a democrat compared to what it is they're almost like completely different parties almost completely different um, yeah. um scenarios there and yeah. so but listen if, if i'm talking let's say there's a woman driving in her car she's 24 you know, she graduated from like mm -hmm. some school in Minneapolis, you mm -hmm. know, and she's like, look, I'm like, yeah, I kind of buy this, but like, I'm not voting for no Donald Trump. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, fine. Okay. Right. So you're Christian. So just, you need to be that kind of Democrat. Like, right. okay, listen, I'll vote for the party, but I'm at, like, it, like on my Twitter feed. And like, when I talk to people, I'm like, listen, mm -hmm. I'm a Democrat because I'm for the little guy. The I think the big people I'm, I'm anti-bully. That's why I'm mm -hmm. a Democrat. And so when men are bullying women, I'm for the women. Yeah. When women want to present their children for dismemberment, I'm for the children. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When our country wants to beat up on a weaker country, I'm for the weaker country. Mm -hmm. When our, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, like I'm against the bully mm -hmm. and for the person who's getting beat on mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. And then we'll sort out who's been in bad or what first. Yeah. And so, I, yeah. So like, I, I'm not saying that like every Christian has to vote Republican. No. Yeah. I'm saying if you're going to be a Democrat, you have to be a Christian version of Democrat. Yeah. You have to be what well, you have to be what Democrats were were supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to be a Republican, it's the same. You have to be the Republican Republicans yeah. were supposed to be. I was going to mention there's there's a ton of Republican people, commentators, and politicians now who are pro pro choice. There's just Absolutely. a ton. The Republican Party and the conservative side of the political spectrum is is falling apart at the seams because they don't know what they're preserving anymore. Like the, 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 the conserve, they're supposed to conserve things. That they don't know what they're conserving at this point. And right. because of that, they're just kind of making new things up. Oh yeah. Well, you know, gay yeah, and you, can, you can like understand that because they're trying to come up with a conservatism that isn't Christian. Yeah. And they don't know what that is. Right. <laughs> and it's very hard. And they'll be like, we, we want to conserve the constitution. And, and to do that, you have to at least recognize some of the Judeo-Christian 
roots. Right, yeah. right. You have to recognize the Bill of Rights and you have to recognize the Declaration of Independence, which yeah. are both deeply Christian documents. Yeah. And so so we have written down here uh, a couple of the – some of the better pro-life arguments. I think one that I was going to bring up earlier – you mean um, pro-choice arguments or pro-life ones? Pro-life. I, th- I think like equipping people with some sort of – and yeah. you don't have to use the term pro-life because that's very political. But like the, the, the argument for an unborn baby and against abortion. And, and I think one of the interesting things that is sometimes brought up by, by pro-lifers is that if a woman who's pregnant gets murdered, the baby dies, they're um, charged with double homicide. Uh, and that's, that's just extreme. I mean – Maybe that would be an interesting thing. I mean, there are some some logical fallacies within the pro-choice thinking that will allow for that scenario because obviously you have to protect the woman. It's kind of like what you're saying, like what's the hierarchy of the little man? Is it the woman that you protect or is it the baby that you protect? Um, because yeah. I think you can make arguments about the law to show that it's inconsistent, right? That like in some cases we treat unborn children as though they are worth protecting that they're humans i mean right. if you're going to charge for for double homicide that's you're you're killing a human being two, two human human beings yeah yeah and there's also laws where we don't give people choice for example if a man impregnates a woman right. he doesn't have a choice as to whether or not he wants to be a father yes but the woman has a choice as to whether or not she wants to be a mother be a mother now, yeah. you can't really have it both ways rationally mm-hmm. right in fact there was a dave Chappelle made a joke about this in one of his things he said listen i'm like he made this pro-choice joke and mm-hmm. he's like listen i'm all for like you having a choice about having the baby if I have a choice as to whether or not I want to pay for it, mm-hmm. a pro-choice is pro-choice, friend. Mm-hmm. And like he's correct about that. Yeah. Right. Like if a woman gets the choice whether or not she wants to take upon herself the responsibility of having a child, mm-hmm. which for her is bearing it, nursing it, and caring for it, mm-hmm. a man has should have that same choice because mainly he's going to do is pay for it. Right. You know, the idea yeah. that a woman can do whatever she wants and that the man just has to accept it, mm-hmm. I think is like a fundamental problem with this whole equation. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, yeah. So that's one of them. Now, what are some of these other, these other pro pro-life arguments um, that can be, I did watch that video too, about that you sent me uh, about the violinist uh, mm-hmm. argument for the, for uh, pro-abortion people. Maybe we could run through that really quickly, but I think that there's gotta be some sorts of, of I don't want to say weapons, but things in our back pocket as Christians that we can kind of be like, all right, I'm going to be getting into more of these conversations with people that I disagree with. And I don't want these conversations to be conversations that end up destroying my relationships. But I also need to stand firm on what I believe to be true. And so how do I do that? Yeah. So, okay. So let me break it down. So there's basically three arguments. There's lots of versions of these arguments, but there's Mm -hmm. basically three pro-choice arguments. Yeah. The first is, is that the thing inside the woman is not a human being. Okay. That's argument number one. Mm-hmm. The second argument is even if the thing inside the woman is a human being and has all the rights of a human being, that still doesn't make it right for you to force the woman to care for this thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the, that's the life support argument. Mm-hmm. Right. The third is, is that the thing inside the woman is a human being, mm-hmm. but isn't a human person. Mm-hmm. The properties or characteristics by which human beings should be protected, mm-hmm. this creature does not have. Mm-hmm. So even though it's a human being, it still doesn't deserve human protections mm-hmm. that human persons deserve. Okay. Those are basically the three arguments. There's only – there's really only three. Mm-hmm. Every argument I've heard for the last 20 years is a version of one of those arguments. 
So there's a, it's just a blob of cells. It's not a human being. Well, right. it was conceived by two humans. It's a separate entity, right? It is a being. It is human. Yeah. Right. Or it's alive mm -hmm. and it's human. So it's a human life or a human being. Like it's deductive. It's straightforward. And if somebody says, yeah, but like it isn't yet. Well, then what that means is that without knowing it, they're, they're arguing for the third argument. Mm-hmm. That like there's something like personhood they're saying it has to have before it's a human being. But I think it's important to point out the difference between that feed, that quote fetus that you don't want to say is a human being in you is only development. And therefore, if development is a means by which we can discriminate, discriminate against people's rights, then why is a baby that's been born for 12 minutes different than a baby 12 minutes before it was born? Mm-hmm. Right now, some of the, now some people will say, okay, there are some, there. I'm going to draw a developmental line somewhere in the womb, like at the heartbeat or at feeling pain or at brain activity. We'll get that to that in the third. Or the umbilical. Argument. I mean, they, they mentioned the umbilical cord. I mean that that the twelve minutes. Right, that before. kind of gets back to the that gets back to the life support argument. Yeah. Right. So then the second Which I think is a stupid argument, by the way, because you have to. There's no in, in the violinist argument. I, there's no it's, moral. It's one of the most one of the most used arguments it is but there's but the, but there's no moral argument inside it like there's no motherhood argument. like that's it's, it has nothing to do with the the like uh the fundamental relationship between a child and a mother it, it's just like a, right. it's abstract it's just somebody that you don't really it's a violinist you know, right you know. it abstracts the baby right because yeah. it like it essentially denies a different it, it denies that there are any ethical so basically it's funny because progressives tend to use this argument but mm -hmm. it's a libertarian argument it's basically yeah. It's basically, I'm not subject to anything I didn't consent mm -hmm. to or choose. Now, listen, that's a way of looking at the world. Right. Right. Now, it's very, it's impossible to live that way. Right. But that's a way of looking at the world. Right. So, so for, so for people who don't know the violinist yeah. objection, it's basically this, like, um, you wake up and you find yourself in a hospital bed. This happens all um, the time. Yeah. You looked to your side and you are connected to another person who's unconscious mm -hmm. and your blood is flowing out of your body through a machine and into his body. You can yeah. just tell like something like that is happening. So a doctor comes in and says, I'm sorry, you're awake. Um, something has happened. I'm sorry. You, we couldn't consult you. Right. But this person in the other bed is the, is the greatest violinist who has ever lived in the history of the world. Right. And while you were sleeping, the Violin Music Society found out that you were the only person who could provide treatment to this person's extremely rare disease through your blood type, mm -hmm. like the sub blood type that's very specific to you in your genetics. Mm -hmm. And so we need you to provide treatment for nine months, nine months yeah. and lie in that hospital bed and could be connected to this person's life support to save their life. Yeah. Right. And then the question is, is that ethical? Does that per is that person ethically obligated to provide life support for this violinist for nine months? Yeah, right? yeah, and and the, the answer is of course not. There's just a lot of yeah. There's a lot of issues there. I mean, like I mean, the thing that like making the baby an abstract abstract is is a problem. I mean, it's like it's like saying that you know my relationship to my mother is the exact same as my relationship to Alexi. Like that doesn't make any sense because I don't have this because it's not true because my mom is my mom. Alexi is your wife who I'm not like, I don't know. It just, that's always bothered me about right. hearing that. argument essentially argues that there's no such thing as responsibility. And there's no such thing as like family, family relationships. Like that, that right. doesn't exist. The only kind of responsibility is contractual, right? Like, so yes, like what it, does yeah. is it, it makes it commodifies. Everybody, yeah. like everything's modified. Like yes. you're, you're a thing yeah. and I either do or don't have a relationship to you. The only thing that can force me to have a relationship mm -hmm. with you is my choice. Is your choice, right? Rather than like all, like it, it almost detaches 
the human being from the natural world. And, and this is an right. argument for expressive individualism. Then I get it right. today at the end of right. the day. A lot of expressive individualisms, like honestly, yeah. this, this argument is like 50 or 60 years old. And so yeah. many people think this is a fantastic argument because what you have to say is, and so, and this is one of the reasons why I'm not sure you can get away from religion here. Yeah. Because what um, builds those, what builds those connections? Right. It's, what yeah. make, what substantiates a mother's response? Cause like, for example, yeah. when, Peter Kreef was debating a guy who did this. He's a, a philosopher at Boston College. Mm -hmm. The guy gives this argument and Kreef's response was, you know, that's a really strange way to talk about, about a mother. mother. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because what Kreef is saying is like, here's what you're denying here. You're denying the fundamental reality that the relationship between the two is not that of person I've never met to me, mm -hmm. but of a mother to her child. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And so is a mother morally responsible to provide life support for her child? For her mm -hmm. child, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Of course she is because she's the child's mother. Mm -hmm. But here's the problem. An expressive individualist who believes in transhumanism mm -hmm. yeah. and an unconstrained view of human nature right. doesn't believe any such yeah. relationships exist. Yeah. And so they go, well, that's what do you I – mean, I mean if she doesn't choose it, it doesn't exist. No, the, no. no. So now you can look at the animal world and see what they do. And in the animal world, mothers don't kill their children. Yeah. They take care of their children. They provide whatever life support those children need until they're alive. Right. right. So the question is, when we became sentient beings and different from the animals, have we become better in our ability mm -hmm. to deny these natural relationships or in embrace them more in, in a level of rationality? We need, right? we need to do a podcast on what is expressive individualism because I feel like that would be really helpful for people. Because in, in thinking about this and talking about this, the like one of the the main like fundamental piece of Christianity, the Christian Christian worldview is the exact opposite of in, uh, expressive individualism. And in that like, you don't you don't get to decide these certain things like motherhood. You don't get to decide whether you are a mother, you aren't a mother. There's things yeah. that just ha that are the way that the natural world interacts with itself, and you're subject to that, and you can't change that. And that that's that's a lot of times that's where a lot of these pro-abortion arguments kind of they kind of zone in on the fact that the women who and men who are pro-abortion have a really, really misguided understanding of the natural world and um, the, of the natural world and human history. And, and just, I mean, they have a backwards um, philosophy and worldview and it can, and it can really, really impact the way that you think about a lot of really important things like children. And when you allow that to, um, but when you allow that to happen, I mean, then catastrophic things like, 63 million babies being aborted um, can happen. And yes, no, I mean, in one sense, Andy, one, way, one of the ways to say it is this. There's really only three ways to think about something ethically, mm -hmm. right? One is um, you can look at the nature mm -hmm. and try to figure out what's, quote, natural yeah. and assume things should conform to that, right? right. A second is teleological. Yeah. You can believe you can know what something is for mm -hmm. and believe that things should behave according to their form or their purpose. And the third is ideological. You can say this is the way things should be mm -hmm. on some principle that's abstract. And if it doesn't conform to that, then it's wrong. Yeah. Right. And Christianity believes that teleology and the natural are closely related, mm -hmm. but that God has told us our teleology that we're teleology. making God's commitment to live it out. Right. That yeah, our teleology, teleology is, is externally um, found not internally processed. Right. Right. And Christians believe that, but also like pagans used to believe that like Aristotle believed we discovered our nature. Yeah. 
not that we created it, right? A lot of yeah, it seems like all, most of the philosophies of of old are kind of centered around that idea because probably because of religion. Partly that, but also because they were observing what we were like. Because the, oh, in the, the industrial revolution, in the ancient world, there yeah. was very little transhumanism because you couldn't do much to a human being. <laughs> yeah, and you couldn't do not, do much to the world around you. You kind of had to right. deal with the the scenario that you were in. Right. So the, the thing that could be improved was the internal self. Yeah. But in order to do that, you have to accept what you are and yeah. then improve upon it, right? Yeah. So only now can we say, well, I'm just going to change myself. I'm yeah. going to use technology or whatever and just be be different. You know, be yeah. what I want, whatever I want to be. Right. right. So like when you, when it comes to these abortion arguments, right? The question is, where does your ethical axiom come from? Where does yeah. the where does the foundational thing mm-hmm. come from, right? And so if you say the basis of all ethics is something I've ideologically come up with mm-hmm. and said, this is the thing, whether it's fairness or empathy or, or libertarianism, like I choose what I want to write, then what happens is, is that like, that's just how you think about ethics. And so right. if I say, no, you have a natural relationship to this person, therefore you're obligated to them. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like, I believe I'm obligated to my brother in a way I'm not obligated to most other men yeah. or my own mother. Like yeah. if my mother is sick, I believe I morally must act on her behalf. Right. But not for all women right. who get sick. Right. And I believe that those those relationships of natural mm-hmm. affection and family orderedness mm-hmm. are morally obligatory for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Because of what I think I am teleologically, like mm-hmm. as a human being made in God's image. Right. If you reject all of that and you're just like, no, I'm I'm a, I'm a this mammal who's mm-hmm. here and I like I have this pregnancy. Right. It's another human being. It's not me. Mm-hmm. This is my body. I don't want that human being in my body, so I'm going to evict them. Mm-hmm. And if they can't live on their own, that's their problem. It's just not mm-hmm. my problem, right? On one level, that is 100% rational mm-hmm. based on your premises. But it's also 100% misguided and 100% disgusting and wrong. And it's 100% irrational based off of the natural world. Like like it's it's your, right. your premise – yeah, it, what is rational on one to one built upon one foundation is not rational built upon another foundation. And that's the difference. This gets back to the problem of where do our ethics come from? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which brings us to the third argument. Okay. So there's the violinist argument. And the issue is, is for that argument to work, you have to believe that no relationships exist right. that create any obligation. Because if there are any relationships that exist that create obligation, the obligation of mother to child is the first one. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's that's why when some pro-life people make their arguments now, one of their main premises is mothers shouldn't kill their children Mm -hmm. because they believe most people accept that even pro-choice people. Yeah. And then but then if you show that the thing inside the woman is a woman's child and mothers don't kill their children, then, you know, QED Mm -hmm. abortions bad. Right. So the third argument um, has been made most popular probably by a person named Peter Singer, who's an ethicist. I think he was at Princeton. I don't know where he is now. And essentially what he argues is there's certain things that make us persons, mm-hmm. that are characteristics. Mm-hmm. And if we have those characteristics and those characteristics are stable or only unstably absent, then we're persons and we deserve to be protected. Right. What he – in one of his last debates with a pro-life person, he said those were the ability to feel pain and the, and the capacity for um, – like self-knowledge, like self-realization, mm-hmm. self-consciousness that I know that I exist, that I know I want to exist. I have certain desires and I have the ability to plan the, for the future, mm-hmm. right? And his argument is, is that if you can feel pain and you are self-conscious, then you're a person you deserve to be protected. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of pro-life people have pointed out is why those two? Mm-hmm. 
why not your ability to feel pleasure as opposed to pain? Mm-hmm. Why? Because because most people will be like, well, because feeling pain is bad, but only if you're a utilitarian. Mm-hmm. What if you're not a utilitarian? That's what if you at, create like arbitrary, abstract ethics in a different way, mm-hmm. right? Like then not, then it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? So like, um, so in that sense, like you, it's like, and there's also the issue of like, but well, what, what if, what, like, what if you're there's there's like there's a very rare condition where people are bored with the, without the capacity to feel pain. Mm-hmm. So can you kill that person when they're 12 years old? <laughs> yeah. Right. Or like people go into comas and they don't have self-consciousness for mm-hmm. a certain amount of time. Can you kill them mm-hmm. when they're in that coma? Right now, Peter's people like Peter Singer would say something like, well, the condition has to be stable. Well, but the, the, the child's position isn't that stable over say nine or 12 months mm-hmm. in nine months, that child's inability to conceive of itself is going to change a lot mm-hmm. faster than it will ever change in any other organism at any time ever. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, again, we get back to we get back to the discrimination of disability. Right. Or of development. And you see, the minute you start saying I can just decide what characteristics make somebody human. Well, then you've got all these historical problems like, well, what about when white people said black people weren't human because they were black? Or that, I mean, Abraham Lincoln, this is what Abraham Lincoln literally said. He said, listen, if you believe you can rule over a person because of the color of their skin and pale beats dark, then the minute you bump into somebody paler than you, you must be their servant. Or if you think it's intelligence and you think the black person is unintelligent, the white person is intelligent. The moment you run into a person who's more intelligent than you, right, you will be their servant forever, right? And like like any characteristic that you choose, ultimately it's going to cut both ways and it's going to mess you up. Okay, so Nick's Wi-Fi went out and he was in the middle of talking and – it went on at the worst possible time. So, Nick, <laughs> do you uh, you want to just finish up what you were saying, and then we can kind of close this podcast out? Yeah. So, um, the, the argument. So, one of, one of the points Singer makes, and I think it's a good point, is he sa- he says to people who argue with him, he says it, it sounds like you're making some kind of speciest assumption because what, what people basically are he, he says what you're basically saying is is that you should be respected just because you're a human being. But why is that? Why shouldn't we respect dolphins or hamsters or because he's written a bunch of stuff on ethical meat and whether or not slaughterhouses are an ethical way to like kill animals and produce meat because they can feel pain. Right. And so and some animals might be close to something like self-conscious, like dogs or really smart pigs or something like that. And so they should have certain kinds of ethical protections. He also believes that children who are in any form mentally disabled and maybe some other children should be able to be euthanized by their parents sometime after their birth for up to maybe two months because they're no longer they're not yet really self-conscious. But Mm -hmm. he does think that children should be killed without evoking pain. So if you're going to mm-hmm. kill a child that's 22, 22 weeks in the womb, you should have to anesthetize that child before you kill it. Yeah. Right. Because it feels pain. Right. But like, so in one sense, he's, he's basically saying, so wait a second, what's so special about human beings that we're supposed to respect them? Like mm-hmm. rationally speaking, you see what he's pushing on. He's just like, the reason why we've always thought this in the West is because of Christianity, mm-hmm. because Christians, because Christians and Jews believe we're made in God's image. Well, he's like, listen, that's a religious argument. If you're assuming that, you're assuming a religious idea. And he's mm. like, that's not a rational argument, right? Yeah. Now, that's why the person he was arguing with in one of these w- was making her argument on the basis of mothers don't kill their children. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like if you're just a trousered ape and you've evolved to the place where you just want to say you don't have any responsibility to your child, what metaphysically creates one? Mm-hmm. What makes a mother have to be a mother? And right. the answer is, who knows? Yeah. Right. And so what Peter Singer actually does reveal, even though his argument is wrong, 
is that the the person who is being pro-life really is saying, I believe that human life is to be protected. Mm-hmm. And they should admit that that probably is a religious point of view. Now, right. I do believe that that w- which God reveals is also true or functions to reason. Mm-hmm. So there is some argument out there that can be made from reason that doesn't mm-hmm. appeal to God's revelation that is mm-hmm. true and shows that human beings should be respected. But right. part of that still is the fact that we're in God's image. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so that means there's a God and we know what that God is like, which might mean right. that you can only achieve this through revelation. The, the way Peter Singer's argument fails is when he, he comes up with criteria that have no prayer of being – like mm-hmm. we could all decide to agree on his criteria – and then it would be mm-hmm. rational based on our agreement or our consent. Right. But outside of consent, can you create oughtness? Can you say that somebody should accept his argument? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no, you can't. Mm-hmm. Somebody could yeah. say it should be different criteria or no criteria at all. Mm-hmm. and Or they could use the old racist criteria or euthanogenic <laughs> criteria and they'd yeah. be just as right. 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 And so and Singer can't really demonstrate why it has to be some criteria and not others. Like why should self-consciousness be the big thing? Yeah. Who cares? Mm-hmm. What if there was like a really big dinosaur that could like eat us all and it wasn't really as self-conscious as us, but was just really good at eating us. Mm-hmm. Right. Would that, you know, like what, would would our life be worth more than that creatures? Mm-hmm. Right. I, who knows? Right. right. So, so Christians believe this because we're made in God's image that because of that, our ethical principle is rooted in religion or faith, mm-hmm. a belief that all human beings should be protected. The entire Western idea of equality and respect from human life is because we've been endowed by our creator mm-hmm. with certain unalienable rights. When yeah. the, when the, when Jefferson, who was not a good Christian <laughs> claimed that he claimed that it was the fundamental basis of all of our laws and all mm-hmm. of our ethics. Right. And he argued it, that the rights were inalienable because they'd been endowed by a creator, yeah. not a King or a government or nature, even itself. It's, right. it, they were given to us by nature's God. Mm-hmm. And that's partly the idea that it was intentional that it yeah. was loving, that it was creative, but also that it would be enforced. Yeah. And the idea that God stands behind these things and will someday right. enforce them is part of what brings home to us that we need to consider what we truly ought to do. Yeah. And is in some ways observable through revelation and reason. Sometimes some of it's not yeah. observable through revel- through reason, um, but it, yeah. it, it, it all works together. I, if I don't end this right now, uh, every, we'll go, everybody on staff is going to get mad at me. So, and we'll go for another hour because it gets into the question yeah. of like, what is nature? Where does our conscience come from? Mm-hmm. Why, why, why do we know abortion is wrong and we can't not know it unless we break ourselves mentally? Right. There's a bunch of, but listen, there's a ton of great books out there. Just Google like best pro-life books. Well, here's what I'll and do we'll flip through a couple and look at them. I mean, like there's, there's, there's so much good pro-life right. stuff out there and on like YouTube, there's yeah. tons of good pro life stuff on YouTube. And yeah. right now we have an we have an opportunity if the Roe v. Wade thing really does get overturned. Mm-hmm. We are going to have a window of opportunity to make an argument publicly. Mm-hmm. And we need to be super good at it. And this is an incredibly good opportunity mm-hmm. because pro-choice people have been lazy for 50 years. True. Because they got the court to just stamp theirs with power. And so they didn't really have to defend it all that strongly. And now they do all of a sudden, and right. they're behind. They're the, pro-life, yeah. the pro-life arguments they've been working, we've been working harder because we've been fighting uphill. And right. so this is the time to learn them and be ready to articulate them, but also mm-hmm. with a lot of compassion, mm-hmm. because the sexual revolution has has mm-hmm. 
been terrible to all of us and we've all done terrible right. things yeah. by falling into it. Yeah. And we need to love people, especially women right. who have been persuaded to get abortions. Yeah. So here's what we'll do next week. Um, I know it's not on the schedule, but I put it on there. We're going to, we're going to continue this conversation next week into some of those more deeper, those deeper questions um, next okay. Wednesday. So that's what I think we're going to do. So um, for those of you that are listening, thanks for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, follow, share us with your friends, give us a five star and give us a review and send us questions if you have them. And we'll see you guys and, next week. Yeah. What you said, you said, Nothing, no, go ahead. okay. All right. See you guys next week. Goodbye.